Thank you for coming to our podcast, Top Turtle MMA Podcast. It's episode 57, and we are brought to you by two tremendous sponsors in the mixed martial arts world. First, I want to talk to you about Sisu Mouthguard. If you do a high-impact sport or activity, what are you doing? Get yourself the lightest, thinnest, most durable mouthguard on the market. Head on over to sisuguard.com. Find the right mouthguard for your sport or activity. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink. All with the mouth guard up in your mouth. It's a game changer. Also, I want to direct you towards Datsusara Hemp Gear. Hemp is a billion times stronger than cotton. Datsusara makes fight gear made out of hemp. So it's strong, it lasts, it's not going to rip or shred, and it's antimicrobial. And if you've ever been in an MMA gym, you know being antimicrobial is a good thing. So head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, not case sensitive, get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara and Sisu Mouthguards bring you this episode of Top Turtle. are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. You can catch us there and really wherever a podcast is being streamed. I'll throw out a few names. TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Check us out there. Subscribe. Write a review. Gosh darn do we appreciate it. Gumby, one of the things I love about our show is we're not here to waste listeners' time. We do what brings us to the dance every time, which is talk about fight news, little barbershop fight talk, as I like to say, quick reaction, nothing about our day or our hair. What do you say we get right into it? Let's get into it. All right. The Korean zombie came back from the dead. <laughs> uh, he was actually doing mandatory military service in Korea. Hadn't fought in three years. Last time he fought was against the 145-pound champ at the time and 145 goat at the time, Jose Aldo, lost that fight. But the Korean zombie comes back in a big way, big uppercut to Dennis Bermudez's chin. Bermudez claims it was an early stoppage. I think it was fine. Your thoughts on the Korean Zombies' return performance? So I think it was a fine stoppage, too. I mean, he was clearly woozy. There was clearly uh, reason to stop it. Herb Dean was fine on that one. You know, it was amazing to me that being away three and a half years, I think it was, since he fought Aldo, it didn't look like he skipped a beat. As a matter of fact, his boxing looked better. I mean, I will say he got hit a lot, but... If you remember before he left, he got hit a lot before he left, too. I mean, Leonard Garcia beat him up a couple of times standing. He can still take a punch. He can still knock you out whenever he wants. Uh, and if his jiu-jitsu is as good as it was when we left, I mean, like, damn, we're, we're talking about, like, a top five featherweight here. I mean, he's making the featherweight division, which is already exciting, super, super exciting. Now, Dana White said it's all but confirmed, I believe, that they're going back to Korea now. They have two very marketable Korean fighters. They both happen to be at 145. I'm, I'm of course, talking about uh, the Korean zombie and the Korean superboy, Doohoo Choi. Uh, Gumby, I guess the hypothetical question to ask here is, do you pair them up and fight them, or do you let them co-main event and each fight someone else? I, I think if you're thinking... Thinking about putting a card together in Korea, you want to hype it up by getting both of them wins, right? Like, that would be huge for the market over there. So, you know, in my head, the top three fights on that card, you know, you put Korean Zombie in the main event because right now he could not be bigger. You put Doohoo Choi in the co-main event, and you put Dong Young Kim in the fight before that. I mean, Dong Young Kim... Uh, the stun gun Dong Hyun Kim, not to be confused with the maestro Dong Hyun Kim, uh, 
is really marketable right now too and in a hell of a fighter at 170 so i think if you put those three in the final three fights you know it's got a lot of flair in south korea and it's going to pull a huge audience if all three of them won be huge for the market over there absolutely agreed um as we move on uh just real quick what what would you do with dennis bermudez perennial contender but probably never going to be champion where does a dennis bermudez go from here would you say i mean that's really tough to say i, I mean you could give him Duhu Choi coming off a loss too mm. I mean Duhu Choi is probably more marketable and could demand a bigger name than that uh, you, you could also feed him an up and comer you know somebody sort of for him to be the gatekeeper into the top 10 I mean there, there, there's matchups there for him uh, I just don't think they're all that exciting right now all right, fair enough. Well, in the co-main event, uh, you had Felice Herrig upsetting the uh, one and O at the time, Alexa Grasso. Someone the UFC you could tell just wants to sink their marketing teeth into. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a pretty good performance by Herrig. What did you make of everything? You, you know, it, I, and I've heard a lot of pundits talk about it this way. You want to feel really good for Herrig because it's the biggest win of her career. She's been fighting for like thirteen freaking years or something like that. But it really just felt like Alexa Grasso was stale, I think is the best way to describe her fighting style. I mean, like, she didn't move forward Alexa Grasso style. I do want to mention, because I forgot to, that Herrig won via unanimous decision, although most pundits would say that Grasso took one of the rounds. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think two judges gave her one round. Uh, you know, it's 29-28, 29-28, and then 30-27. Yeah. So, yeah, the 30-27 is a little bit weird. But Herrig, I mean, she looked good on her feet. You expected her maybe to grapple, you know, Grasso up a little bit, but she didn't. Um, she, I mean, she looked good. It just seemed like a win over Grasso should have come harder than that. James Vick defeated Abel Trujillo with a Darce choke. The Texecutioner uh, proves true with his name. This guy is a guillotine and Darce freak. I like James Vick. Uh, what do you make of the fight, though? I mean, this is crazy to think about. Uh, when I was looking at his record afterwards, what do you think James Vick's record is in the UFC? Go ahead and take a guess. Well, I th who did he, did he just remind me? He lost to either was it Jake Matthews or Johnny Hollywood? Case? Um, he just lost to. Give me two seconds. He, lost he just to, lost to Benil Dariush. And did he lose to one of the bigger prospects before that? I he thought he did not. Oh, did he? Oh, he beat Jake Matthews. He guillotine. Okay. Jake Matthews. So here's what I'm going to go with. I think he was four and zero. Then the loss. I think he's five and one in the UFC. He is six and one in the UFC wow. with a submission win over Ramsey Nijem, a decision over Lazaro, uh, Vladimir Lazaro. He beat Nick Hine, Jake Matthews, Glacio Franca, and now Abel Trujillo. Six wins in the freaking now, UFC. Now, let me play devil's advocate, and I do like James Vick. Do I think he's a future champion? Eh, probably not. But he's, he would have to be more well-rounded. Sure. To the casual fan of the names you just said, I mean, really, the most impressive would be Jake Matthews. Yeah, Jake Matthews. Yeah. And Trujillo's no slouch. That's true. So, I mean, he's got two – and Ramsey Nijem, not with the UFC anymore, but at the time, he was only – you know, Vic was only a 4-0 prospect at the time. Three decent wins there. Yeah. Yeah. So And he's 6-1. So I mean, like, what do you do with him next? I mean, I, I like him against – moving him up the division. I would love to see him fight somebody like Michael Chiesa. He fought him on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, and Chiesa won, knocked him out of the, the tournament. He might be deserving of a rematch now. Okay, I like that fight. Um, now, the other, I guess you could call it, uh, actually, really, the fight that had the most 
uh, implications title-wise, uh, rankings-wise. Jessica Andrade beat Angela Hill. We were both very high on Angela Hill. I really liked what she did. She left the UFC, went to Invicta. She was a raw talent that needed to work on some skills. And while Jessica Andrade, uh, you know, obviously won the fight, uh, unanimous decision, all three rounds, I mean, this is one of those performances where Hill looks good even in a loss because she lost to someone who's now going to fight for the actual title. Yeah, and she took her to the distance, which is totally not something you usually expect in an Andrade fight <laughs> because she's got that crazy forward pressure. She throws 110% every time she throws, and Hill took her best shots. I mean, like, hell of a chin on Hill for taking all those shots from Andrade, and she tagged her a bunch of times too. I mean, like... I would have been interested to see what would happen if this turned into a grappling match a little bit. You know, if, like, Hill tried to take her down, tried to put her up against the cage, trip her or something like that. It didn't wind up there, but, like, I mean, yeah, Hill's stock goes way up. Andraj rightfully gets her title shot. And, I mean, just exciting for the 115 division. You know, I said this right after I watched the fight. It was the best women's fight I've ever seen. Most exciting women's fight I've that ever seen. That is such big... Those are big words. I mean, coming. it is, but like... Okay, so what? what is your, like, most exciting women's fight you've ever seen, if you think about it? Uh, for me, uh, you know, and I don't want to take away you feeling the moment that you did. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's Misha Holly because... I, I would, of, that was going to be my number one after this one. Yeah. Misha Holly, super exciting. You watch somebody tire out and not be able to defend a choke at the end. I mean, like, arguably, that's why Holly lost. She tired out. Cardio didn't hold up. Both of these women's cardio hold, held up, and they slugged for fucking 15 minutes nonstop. Yeah. I guess, again, devil's advocate to that, though, was Holly tired out in the fifth that's, round. That's very true. It, very it, true. I think we could all say that Jessica Andrade in a fifth round would be questionable, and that's what's so exciting about her versus Joanna. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I'm very <laughs> – I'm hyped on that fight. Anyway, uh – we move on. Uh, the other big one I wanted to highlight, Gumby, was friend of the show uh, debuting in the UFC. Most people didn't even know who this guy was before he came on our show last week. Most people didn't even know how to say his name. It's Vulcan Ozdemir, and he defeated Ovin St. Prue on short notice. Uh, was a unanimous decision. Split. or Sorry, split. Uh, twenty nine, twenty eight on two cards. One guy had it. One judge had it for OSP. Twenty eight, twenty nine the other way. What did you make of the performance, and how excited were you for Vulcan? Whew, uh, I mean, th the fight itself was exciting in pockets. Right. I will say it got really, really slow once or twice. That second round so hard to score. I think that's why you wind up with a split decision. Clearly, one round for Vulcan. Clearly, one round for OSP. And then that second round, just because it got so slow in the middle, I also think the Houston fans made it look worse by booing him because, like, that card was so exciting top to bottom with the amount of finishes there were in, like, exciting fights. And if you look at the two fights that came on before this with Andraj Hill and Fortuna versus Hamilton, I mean, they were getting spoiled on that card. So you see a fight like that, it wasn't as bad as the fans made it sound. Uh, I I, I probably gave it to Vulcan Ozdemir, too, and maybe I was watching it, hoping he won, seeing as he was a friend of the show. Now, we'll talk about OSP uh, real quick, Gumby. Where do you go with him? Sluggish performance on his part. We're two fights removed now from him fighting John frickin' Jones as a pay-per-view headliner for the then-interim uh, light heavyweight title, but it feels like the stock has really plummeted. For yeah, OSP. it has. Well, And you know what part of that is, too? Again, I was looking at records after the fight. One win in his last five fights. My God. One in his last five, and he's ranked six. Um, was I, the one win against uh, 
the Russian. Uh, oh God, I don't even know who he beat. I mean, let's put the intern on it. Um, so I, I know he lost to Jimmy Manoa, John Jones, and Glover, Vulcan Ozdemir, sure. and Glover. Uh, and the win was against. Wait for it. It was Nikita Krylov, right? He, I know it? he was got it? in like 2015. I think it was. Nope. He, so he did fight. Uh, Nikita Krylov, but quite a while ago, it was against Rafael Cavalcante wow. by decision. Oof. So, so that's I mean, the like, one win. That's his one win, and the last time he won previous to that was April of 2015. Yeah. So, I mean, he's like almost two years, you know, like a win a year for two years. Right. I, I mean, that's brutal. Yeah. Um, How I, did he fight for the, t- the yeah, interim title? That I mean, is like, crazy. Off of a win to Rafael Cavalcante. That's how we got it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, like, Bad, bad, you know, area to be in when you're matchmaking for him. You know, like, do they even keep him around making what he's making? Um, how about the undercard? Do you want to just highlight a performer that you were very impressed with? I mean, I could highlight a couple of them. I mean, first of all, on the main card, Marcel Fortuna knocking out Anthony Hamilton, giving up 50 fucking pounds. He was 50 pounds lighter than his opponent, and he gets the KO. And then Curtis Blades, I mean, I've been touting him as a heavyweight people should pay attention to. He lost to Nagano a little while ago by TKO due to injury because he had a cut over his eye. But, like, legitimately, he might have won the second round in that fight before they stopped it, and he just threw Adam Milstead around like a rag doll until his knee exploded. Um so Curtis Blades, just like somebody to watch. All right. Well, let's move now to our uh, news of the week, uh, so to speak. What, what's gone down since you and I last got in the old podcast studio? Stipe versus JDS is official. Uh, JDS is going to be challenging Stipe for the heavyweight title. And uh, JDS holds a win over Stipe. Very tightly contested fight. It was a decision, five-round decision win for JDS. Uh, what do you make of this fight? Uh, I mean, this is a fight I've wanted to see again for a while uh, because, you know, some people had that fight for Stipe. Uh, you know, I had it for JDS when I watched it, but, you know, Razor, close decision. You know, it went five rounds. It, it's a good boxing matchup because, you know, their boxing is on very similar levels. JDS uh, clearly probably a little better on the feet in and Stipe a little better on the ground. I mean, I think this is the match that people wanted to see, and it makes so much more sense to me than Verdum coming off, you know, uh, getting knocked out by Stipe. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Well, wait, didn't Verdum have a win? He, he did have a win in, in between, right? Yeah, he beat yeah. um, uh, Mr. Rousey. Yeah, he, be, he beat Travis Brown. But, you know, does beating Travis Brown six months ago get you a rematch against the guy who knocked you out, or do you give the rematch to JDS... Uh, who's also coming off a win and had beaten Stipe in the past. Yeah, so, I no. mean, like, it makes a lot more sense to me. I, I, uh, and Verdum can cry all he wants. I, I was fine with either of them. Obviously, the fight that I think everyone wants to see is when Kane comes back, having Stipe fight Kane. That would really legitimize him as... As know, a real true... Yeah, because yeah. it, it's a type of fighter he hasn't fought. You know, he fought the jiu-jitsu ace, uh, Verdum. Uh, who, I mean, obviously didn't get to jujitsu him up at all. Um, you know, he fought he, the boxer in JDS. He outslugged Mark Hunt. He, he outs- outslugged your boy, uh, um, Arlovsky. Arlovsky. Yeah. yeah, getting a true wrestler in there. 
I think would would really make it look like one of the greatest heavyweight champs of all time. All right. Well, uh, he will go for his second title defense in a row, which would tie the record because no one's ever had more than two at the heavyweight division uh, in May at UFC Dallas, UFC 211. Uh, Dana White says Bellator is going to be a good landing spot for Ryan Bader, all but confirming they're not going to match his offer to Bellator. So you can uh, basically assume, even though nothing's been announced yet, Bader is going to Bellator. Yeah, I, I will say what's really odd of this, the UFC said they're not going to match it, and, and we've been waiting how long for Bader to say he's in Bellator? This Almost a week, right? Yeah, about a week. Yep. It's been about a week. To me, that makes it sound like he's reluctant, right? Because like in all of the other cases, when the UFC was like, we're not matching, or when Bellator was like, we're not matching, the next day, the other company was like, yep, we got him. Right. So this seems like it's taking a while. You almost wonder if he goes back to the UFC saying, I will take a pay cut. Right. You know, you know and, it, and it doesn't, I'm not saying he's definitely going to do that because, you know, making more money in Bellator. I think Dana White is right. He's got a better move going to Bellator. He very clearly could be Bellator's light heavyweight champion. He, sure. He, he could beat Phil Davis. You know, we know that. He could beat Tito Ortiz. He could beat Liam McGeary. You know, like he is a top tier guy for Bellator. So it would be a great career move for him. He'd probably get paid better. He would get paid better. Yeah. Uh, but by... does it seem like he's reluctant? Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's been a week. It could have just been Dana White. He is the master negotiator. Uh, he's been around the game a long time. That might have been a negotiating tactic, just saying, go for it, bud, because he knew that his offer was competitive. And let's be honest, is Bader really going to put, quote, butts in the seats to borrow a term from professional wrestling? Not really. No. So do you? I don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, Bellator went out of their way to – or, you know, wine and dine Ryan Bader. Yeah, and if they the are, it's a mistake, right? <laughs> like, would you pay to watch Tito Ortiz versus Ryan Bader too? No. Well, Tito's retired, but, I mean, him I, and... But he, the, he, yeah. he could I know theoretically come back, and that's a rematch fight. That's the best hype fight that Bellator could do with Not him. one of those fights excites yeah, me. Yeah, no. Freaking Phil Davis versus Bader? No thanks. Well, here's a fight that does excite me. Mike Jackson has called out oh, CM God. Punk, and this makes so much sense. I knew because, this is going to be a Listen, <laughs> this is like an Eddie Bravo-style conspiracy theory. Why did Mike Jackson ever fight in the UFC to begin with, right? Wasn't he was he one and O as a pro? Or no, was he's he O and O as a pro. He was O and O as a pro. Like two and O as an amateur. He had like two amateur. And fights. I like Mike Jackson. <laughs> yeah, Great a, we had him on the show. He's an awesome guy. Awesome personality. Why was he ever in that fight? And then the fact that they never brought him back. It just that's who CM Punk should have been fighting. We all could tell Mickey Gall had something there. You know, brown belt and jujitsu to start with. He had a higher career trajectory from the jump. Then Mike Jackson, CM Punk, Mike Jackson, CM Punk, closer in age. Mike Jackson obviously has deficiencies. I'm not saying Mike Jackson should be a UFC fighter per se, but I am saying Mike Jackson should be who CM Punk got to fight. If we're going to make a freak show fight against O&O fighters. So to me, I think that fight makes a lot of sense. And uh, we heard last week that CM Punk's been, you know, screaming for a fight. Well, there it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's no reason for CM Punk not to fight again. I think it's part of me. I don't know. Doesn't want to see Mike Jackson just because I want what Phil Phil Harris, uh, uh, CM Punk. That's CM Punk's real uh, name. Phil Brooks. Phil Brooks. Yeah. Thank you. Phil Harris. Call that his shoot name in professional yeah. wrestling. His so, work name is CM Punk. Yeah. So when he fights again, I, I want some sense of legitimacy to it. And, and to me, I mean, we just watched Mike Jackson. You think Mike Jackson's a can? I, I do. And, and not that I think that, like, 
CM Punk is going to beat somebody who's not a can. Like, he needs a can to fight. But it, it just seems like the wrong one for me because there, there's, like, nothing you can hype behind it. He beats him and, like, so what? He beat somebody who we've watched get beat worse than he did against fucking Mickey Gall. You know what I mean? I hear you. Yeah, I mean, listen, is it going to, you know, draw a bunch of people on pay-per-view? Is it even worthy of a main card slot? Absolutely not. The way CM Punk should have done this. You know, Gumby, for the first time this weekend, I finally caved and I watched Here Comes the Boom. (laughs) And there is something to be learned from that movie. It's not as bad as they might make it out to be. You know, it was a story of a high school teacher going on the regional circuit to earn his way to the UFC. And I had to think of CM Punk while watching it. We all know he should have gone to Titan. Titan is like a feeder system uh, to the UFC. It's on Fight Pass. Or or Legacy, which is now Legacy Fighting Alliance, because it combined with RFA. I mean, those two are on AXS TV, and they've openly stated that they want to be the minor league for the UFC. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, their owner openly came out and said, we are here to be the feeder system for the UFC. And that's why we combine the two together. And now, and you know they've got a good relationship too, because they just hired Mick Maynard, who was the the matchmaker for Legacy. So, like, either of those two promotions, which is now the same promotion, or Titan, would have been great fits for him. And, and he could have fought somebody like Mike Jackson as like a co-main event or a main event on that, it would have brought an amazing amount of eyes to the smaller promotion. And if he had beaten him then, then we would have had some real hype going into him being in the UFC. I'm with you. All right. Well, I, I'm, I'm still also not off of your idea to put him on the, the comeback season of tough. I think that makes the most sense because it's 170 pounds. 170 pounds coming in January. I'd love to see them add him or not January. Coming in uh, April, maybe. April, maybe. I yeah, don't know. I'd love to see him make a uh, a Kimbo Slice esque entrance into the Ultimate Fighter House. I, I like where <laughs> your head's at. All right, let's turn our attention now to our interview with Gerald Mearshart. He fights out of Rufus Sport. He's one and zero in the UFC. We got a chance to talk to him, and I will play that for you now. But I would be remiss not to mention that this interview is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara makes Fight gear out of hemp. It is very strong, very durable, antimicrobial. I have the hemp fight shorts myself. I roll in them all the time. They are my favorite pair of fight shorts. I am not fucking around when I say that. I highly, highly, highly recommend you try out some Datsusara fight gear products because they really are superior. Made from hemp, antimicrobial, super durable. I'm not going to say anymore. Head on over to dsgear.com. That's dsgear.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, all one word, not case sensitive, to get yourself a discount. You're going to like their hemp fight gear. I guarantee it. Datsusara brings you our interview with Gerald Mearshart. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking with Gerald Mershart, who fights Ryan James at Ultimate Fight Night 105 in Halifax on February 19th. Uh, Gerald, we, we talked to you before your, your fight just in uh, Albany not that long ago, where you picked up the big performance of the night submission win over Joe Giliotti. we got to ask always when somebody picks up a big bonus like that, did you do anything fun with it, or is it the usual bill and savings for Gerald Mershart? Uh, it was pretty low key, you know, mostly billing savings. Uh, I did uh, get a new, little bit bigger vehicle, a little better for the winter since I'm up here in Wisconsin. So, somewhat all wheel drive, but uh, other than that, nothing too crazy. 
Yeah, and uh, so so let's talk a little bit about you up there in Wisconsin. So uh, obviously, never a dull moment in Rufus Sport. Lots of news uh, recently about up there. Your training partner Tyrone Woodley got booked again with a fight for uh, for Wonder Boy Thompson. Uh, give us your thoughts on that rematch and uh, how the preparation is going for it. Uh, you know, it's going great. You know, he just uh, got up here not too long ago. Him and Sage Northcutt are both up here, so. You know, two more great guys to have in the gym. Um, yeah, I thought, like a lot of people, that he did enough to win the first fight. Uh, I understand the arguments on both sides. Um, I do also think with the new scoring system, you know, they're kind of leaning more towards a, a pride-type scoring system. You know, there's still uh, 10, you know, 10-9 must rounds, but they're looking to score a little more towards who's trying to finish the fight. So I think if that rule system was in place, if we have a repeat of the last fight, then Tyron definitely wins. So, you know, really excited. But uh, I think we're we're going to get a finish this time for sure. Let's talk a little bit about what he was saying in the media too. Uh, you know, maybe you, you didn't get that much insight into it. You know, him being here and there in a way for taping and stuff like that. But he was really pushing for Michael Bisping for a while. It seemed like he wanted Damian Maya. Do you think it's the right move by the UFC to to make that fight happen again? Uh, you know. I think there's selling points for all of them. You know, I think the the money fights, as people would say, are always going to be bigger names. Obviously, having two champs fight, you know, for and you know they were going to switch it up again to 185. So having Tyron be also a two way champ would be a big draw. And then you know there's always the little uh, mini beef they had with Connor, where Connor tried to swell up on him, and that's you know mm-hmm. if you had two guys that won two belts in their respective near weight classes, then fight each other, that would be insane but you know they went with wonder boy wonder boy has a big following a lot of people you know on the web and stuff like that calling for a rematch so you know i understand it uh personally well personally i thought tyron won the fight anyway so you know it wouldn't have been scored a draw in my eyes but it is what it is there was a draw so now they're going to put it to bed once and for all now, you mentioned the little dust-up between Connor and Tyron uh, back at UFC 205. Obviously, you're going to be a little biased. You're his boy. You're his teammate. But just walk, sure. us, walk us through Tyron versus uh, Connor. How does that fight go down? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, like you said, going to be a little biased. Tyron's my guy. But trying to be as unbiased as possible, um, you know, they're similar height. Tyron's way bigger. Tyron's just as fast, if not faster, when he wants to be. Uh, Connor has a really, really good understanding of not just timing but distance. You know, and the way he fights a lot of guys, you know, he sits way back and tries to load up that left hand, and then he'll let off combos when he can. Going to be a little bit harder to do when the guy you're fighting is the same height as you. You know, maybe a little taller, and he's bigger. And not only that, but we saw an out-of-shape Chad Mendez fight Conor McGregor and take him down with relative ease. Tyron is like three times the size of Chad <laughs> Mendez. And, you know, he really good wrestling pedigree. He, if he wants to at any point in that fight, he's definitely putting Conor on the ground, especially the way he stands super sideways, real wide stance. You know, he's just not going to have the technical wrestling know-how or ability, let alone power to stop Tyron with the double leg. So I think he he gets on top of him, and he starts raining down shots on top, the fight's over, period. You know, and even on the feet, like I said, you lean back like that with your head up, yeah, you can sidestep and time guys that are smaller than you, 
But when you have a fighter who's not only bigger but also understands boxing, you know, it's a different kind of fight. And as we saw in the Nick Diaz fight, the power doesn't translate nearly as well when you go up in weight class. So, you know, would Connor land some shots? Probably. You know, he's a very skilled fighter. But Tyron's just too big, too powerful, uh, and too technically proficient in more areas. And I think he wins that fight pretty handily. Real quick, we want to just wrap up on a couple of uh, of other Rufus Sport uh, teammates of yours. Uh, Sage Northcutt uh, lost to Mickey Gall in his last fight out. Uh, you know, the obviously the submission skills uh, are come into question a lot with Sage. Mickey Gall is a very good grappler, though. First round, I thought Sage looked very comfortable, actually, talking a little more shit than we've ever seen him before. Oh, now, yeah, I don't know if you could call sure. it shit talk. It was more like Sage talk. I'm sure he didn't curse. <laughs> he, he, he's a good church boy. But uh, what do you make of his uh, progress and development, uh, and, and what do you still think of his future in, in the octagon? Yeah, I think he has a very bright future. Uh, you know, he went up against a guy, Mickey Gall, where it was definitely a striker versus grappler. He was winning on the feet. You know, he was doing good. He got a little too loose with his movement and ended up getting caught. But, you know, before that, he was controlling the fight. He was doing just fine. Um, on the ground, you know, obviously there's work there to be done, but there's always going to be someone that's better than you on the ground. You know what I mean? The, uh, unless you're Damian Maya, in which case, then there's a lot of people that are better on seat. So, you know, there's a give and take in any sport, but he's a young kid. You know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got probably the most positive attitude in MMA. So, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of room to grow, and I think he'll make the proper adjustments. And, you know, I think someday he can definitely be a champion. On uh, one more teammate of yours, CM Punk, it's been reported he's uh, feverishly uh, trying to get another fight in the UFC. I actually just made an argument on this podcast that, uh, you know, the UFC has about 75 guys signed at welterweight. They could certainly give him, you know, the, the 74th ranked guy. Uh, there are a lot of fighters out of Mexico who have good boxing skills, but maybe don't have those grappling pedigrees that someone like a Mickey Gall has. I just think Mickey Gall uh, is has a very very bright future and it was a mismatch with him versus punk so what are your thoughts as a teammate obviously uh you know i'm sure you support him but uh where do you think his next move is if it is at the ufc and what are his chances of, of being competitive well, i think his next step is definitely with the ufc you know you got to keep in mind uh cm punk does not have to do anything like he he's fine for the rest of his life he's doing this purely for the love of the sport so if he is a big enough draw that he can fight on the biggest stage, you know, I don't see why not. And, you know, he's been back in the gym. He's been working. And like you said, there's plenty of guys in the UFC that they can have fight him. And, you know, like the you mentioned Mickey Gall, his first opponent, you know, that would be another opponent, too, that would have been, you know, probably even... Uh, Mike Jackson, yeah. It made more sense for him to fight uh, him instead of Mickey Gall, especially for, you know, the first fight in. Absolutely. But that being said, you know, you get out of it what you put in. You mm -hmm. know, he knows it takes real hard work. If he's come, stays in the gym and he's, you know, well prepared, you know, it's MMA. Anybody's got a chance. And, you know, he's, he's a tough guy. He got caught in a bad spot last time. But, you know, Mickey Gall, I don't know that he's as good as everyone thinks he is right now i think he could be 
but he's still a tough kid. He's still got, you know, a decent skill set everywhere, and that's still a hard fight for someone who's basically brand new to MMA. So I think if Phil gets that fight, you know, if he's the big enough draw, why not fight for the UFC? So uh, we feel kind of bad. We've asked you a lot about your teammates. Well, you know, obviously Rufus for all over the news right now. Let, let's talk a little bit about the matchup that you did recently get. You're fighting Ryan James, uh, submission specialist again. Seems like you get one right after the another with the, the submission specialist, Joe Giuliotti, picking up a lot of sub wins recently. And you submitted him. So last time we talked to you, you know, you said, you know, it's hard to be afraid of a grappler when you're rolling with Tyrone Woodley and Ben Askren all the time and they're taking you down and or can't take you down. Uh, you know, obviously you're not afraid of Ryan James's grappling, being that you're working with those two, but is there any reluctancy that, that you keep getting grapplers instead of getting strikers? I don't pick them. I just guess that's who wants to fight me or is willing to. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, now we're in the UFC, so it's a little bit different. They can't say no, right? But, you know, I've got... I think now it's 18 submission wins over my career. I'm not afraid to go to the ground with anyone, you know, especially if we can punch an elbow, like it's a whole, whole nother game. And, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to understand the finer details of striking and grappling at the same time and being able to grapple effectively while you're in danger of getting hit, you know, it's a little bit different, but, uh, you know, that being said, a lot of my submissions, like my last fight, you know, you guys saw it. It doesn't come because I'm strictly trying to take these guys down and, you know, try to get in my grappling from a straight grappler, you know, like uh, uh, Damian Maya or something like that. It's because I hit them and I hurt them. And they're like, oh, shit, this is terrible. <laughs> like, let's, you know, I cracked Joe with a couple left hands. You know, I busted his nose up and he was like, all right, that's enough of that. It just so happened that. I have good enough wrestling and jujitsu that if someone rushes me like that, I can take the fight to the ground. It happened to be easiest there, so I got the finish. You know, I always look to finish the fight, and it's—I wouldn't say easier to finish a fight by submission, but there's a lot less variables in finishing by submission. And I'm, you know, I'm proficient in all areas of the game, and you know, I'm obviously no slouch at submissions. And if people want to keep shooting in because I keep hurting them on the feet. That's what's going to happen. So hopefully this time I'll put him to sleep before he has a chance to try to scramble around on the ground, but we'll see. Well, last question here, uh, Gerald, and, and uh, it's a tough one. Uh, your teammate, Nate Jennerman, recently uh, tweeted out, uh, he shared a photo that you had sent him of you playing the saxophone <laughs> shirtless, as he called it, like a boss. It, I mean, we got to ask, is this something you often do, so play the saxophone shirtless and send it to teammates? Uh, that was the first time I had done that. Uh, <laughs> uh, a little known fact, I was actually in school to be uh, a music teacher before wow. I started mixed martial arts. Yeah, so, you know. Pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah. So um, one day I decided that, you know, I'd uh, bust it out and, um, you know, play a little George Michael and send it out to the guys for a good laugh. And, you know, I, you know, stay, stay tuned on social media. That might be a commercial for one of my sponsors. <laughs> you just have to wait and see. <laughs> All right. I love it. Um, well, listen, Gerald, it was great catching up with you. This is the second time you've been on the show. We really enjoyed it. Uh, Gerald fights Ryan James at Fight Night 105 in Halifax on February 19th. Thanks so much, Gerald, for the time, and good luck in the fight. Hey, thanks, you guys. Have a good one. 
All right, Gumby, there you have it. Yeah, Gerald Mearshart, I, I always feel bad when we have him on. It's the second time we've had him on. We ask him like 750 questions about his Rufus Sport teammates. Uh, and, and he is such a like a hot prospect right now. You know, looking to go 2-0, and it's going to be his like 30th win, for Christ's sakes. And uh, I, I feel like we, we spend more time talking about his buddies than we do him. Um, but super nice guy, always willing to divulge what's going on in the gym. Well, that's I was going to say, I mean, he's such a well-spoken fighter. And yeah. that gym right now, obviously, between Tyron Woodley, Phil, CM Punk Brooks, we had to ask him. I mean, him, right? and Sage Northcutt, too. And I mean, like, we have right. to ask him those questions. <laughs> it's, like, impossible not to ask a Rufus Sport guy that right now. All right, so we're going to move now to UFC 208, which, Gumby, I have to say... Uh, you know, there was a lot of trepidation about the new owners coming on, Joe Silva retiring, and I'm, I'm withholding a lot of judgment um, because it's a transition, obviously. And when the matchmaker of 20 years and Joe Silva, who is so good at what he does, leaves, there's obviously going to be, you know, maybe a bump in the road or two. I think what we're seeing in this first quarter of 2017 is that bump in the road. There was no pay-per-view in January, right? The weekend of the Super Bowl was less than what we've come to it, expect. It, it was turned it, into a good card. It was a great card in terms of entertainment and stylistic matchups. In terms of name value and like title implications, I mean, there's one fight that had title implications, and apart from that, you know, Chan Sung Jung was the biggest name on the card. So I want to just keep talking about this because I'm not, you know, throwing shade or just pushing a bl- ton of blame on them, although I will in a second in one regard. <laughs> but, you know, Conor McGregor, his girlfriend's pregnant. He might be going to get the fight of a lifetime, which I can't blame him for if he's going to make $150 million to go fight Mayweather. He's out. Brock Lesnar and John Jones pop for steroids. Ronda Rousey probably retired. All their trump cards are not being, they're not able to play them right now. So... You know, I get that sucks, and I'm hyped as fuck for next month in March because we got two awesome fights with Habib versus Nurmagomedov and Woodley versus Wonderboy in the rematch. But then you have this card, which I feel like could have been so epic in the debut in Brooklyn. And the real problem becomes that we have a new featherweight division and title at stake with only two fighters in the... In the division. In the whole division. In the whole division. And it was obviously set up for Cyborg, but then she runs into her steroid problems, which, you know, anyone probably could have predicted was going to happen sooner or later. And you just know that they were backed into a corner and were like, oh, we need a title fight. Well, we can't do an interim 135. So here you go. We now have Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durandamy for the inaugural women's featherweight title. And the whole thing just feels very... Forced. Yeah, and I, I feel like even on top of that, too, I, I feel like, you know, and, and not to take away from Homer Durant to me, I just feel like they probably could have put a better featherweight title shot together here. You know what I mean? It, Holly Holm is coming off two losses in a row. Yeah, and, and you know what? And, and here's the other thing, too, that I've been saying. So Holm is coming off two losses in a row. Durant to me is coming off two wins without looking. You know, if, if you don't have it open on your computer over there, without looking, who did Jermaine Durandamy beat? Oh, God. All right. She lost to Cyborg. And then... Did she fight Cyborg? Oh, no. That's a fight I wanted. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. She lost to Amanda Nunes. She lost to Amanda Nunes. And then... She won two in a row after that. Gun to my head. 
I don't know who. She fought Anna Elmos. That's right. We had her the on show. the show. Right? Yep, we had her on the show. And she fought Larissa Pacheco. Who's that? Come again? Larissa Pacheco. God bless you. I, I, Who's I that? believe she's from, I thought she was Brazilian maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but combined to 0-4 in the UFC, those two fighters. Oh, my God. So, like, she has not proven to me that she should, like, be getting a title shot. And, look, I know she's a great kickboxer. She's, like, 30-7-0 and and as a kickboxer in her career. You know, Holmes got all the boxing titles. I think they put it together because they figured it'd be a stand-up war and people would be like, yeah, the 145 division. But there's better choices out there. Shit, put Megan Anderson in there. She's, like, marketable. She's super fun to hear on the mic. And she's she's a stand-up fighter, too. Katzengano at 145. Katzengano. They do have a lot of 135. I, I, mean, I will give them they have a lot of 135ers that could come up to 145. But that's but now you're splitting your division, right? It's like I'm not a I'm not a, a card shark by any stretch of the imagination, but it's like when you split the thingy in blackjack, right? <laughs> yeah. You split your hands. Yeah. That's what they'd be doing. They don't have the depth for 145. We can go on all day about who would have been better for 145. The point is, this is not a pay-per-view headliner. Yeah. I know they have their metrics that Holly home was very popular after the ronda rousey fight but then she, she went on the twice then she lost twice and those ratings were good her versus valentina shavanko but it was also in a loss and guess what valentina shavanko her ratings were bad in the fight after when she just coming went off a win. coming off a win so i don't think the stock is as high as they think it is in the holly home brand again uh, let's just stop killing it let's just get to your prediction gumby holly home plus 105 jermaine durand to me minus 125 i've never been more upset in my life go i love Holly Holm is an underdog, that being said. I mean, as a gambling man, I looked at this card with all the odds earlier, and I think it's a really good fight to pick a bunch of underdogs. Um, I, I mean, Holly Holm is an underdog. Who is Randy B? Here's another thing. Listen, I gosh darn hate the Patriots so much, but... <laughs> It's a Bill Belichick syndrome here. Holly Holm has Greg Jackson and Mike Wickle, John. Jermaine Durandamy, don't even know who she has. It's her first title fight Maybe in MMA. Move. It's her first MMA her first MMA headliner. Uh, yeah, I'm good, man. It's Holly. I, I would pick Holly Holm and take those yeah, points, even I, though they're very slight. I, I can't believe she's an underdog, though. You're going to get better than even money on her? I, I mean, this is Holly Holm all day. All right, I'm going to keep being a hater here. The co-main event is Anderson Silva versus Derek Brunson. I appreciate Spider whenever he fights. He's one of my favorite fighters to watch, obviously. Um, but... You know, he himself is coming off a loss uh, to Michael Bisping, although some people or sorry to Daniel Cormier and lost to Michael Bisping before that. A no contest before that versus Nick Diaz, although he really won that. Derek Brunson is coming off a loss. That's who he's going to be fighting this Saturday. This is the co-main event, mind you. Derek Brunson's coming off a loss to Robert Whitaker. Now, I get that Brunson is a very exciting fighter. He's going to come forward. Anderson Silva's probably going to counter-strike him and knock him out. Or, you know what? Maybe Derek Brunson will knock Anderson Silva's head off. Again, not co-main event of a pay-per-view worthy it's a fight night card co-main event or main event or fight pass main event Mm. so this again feels forced and thrown together again i'm sorry to be hating on this before i kick to you anderson silva you can get him as a plus 130 dog Derek brunson a minus 150 favorite your thoughts i I mean i like anderson silva here i mean i i think is is crappy as he looked in some of those fights and you know how how we know he's dropped off i mean he he basically beat our champ bisping right i mm-hmm. mean like he, he had him knocked out and if he had followed it up he would have gotten the win 
I just can't imagine a world where Derek Brunson doesn't get caught with a counter strike here. Agreed. All right. Nothing more needs to be said unless you want to say something more. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I got nothing. Yeah, there you go. All right. So then you go from the third from the top. You have Jacques Array, one of my favorite fighters, coming off a win over Vitor Belfort. Although, let's face it, Vitor Belfort is a shell of himself. He should retire. Uh, Ronald, uh, Jacques Array lost to Yoel Romero before that in a split decision. Some people thought he won. I thought he won. Beat Chris Camozzi before that via armbar on a short notice fight that Chris Camozzi had to step up and take. So he's 2-1 and one in his last three. Bosch also 2-1 and one in his last three on a surprising two-fight winning streak, beat Josh Saman via TKO, beat Rafael Natal via KO back in November. Who you got here, Gumby? Uh, I'm going with Jacare, obviously. I, I think he gets a submission early here. Um, I, I like him on his feet against Bosch, and I like him on the ground against Bosch. This is a huge mismatch. Uh, no crap. Yeah. Uh, Jacare, a minus 500 favorite. You can get Bosch as a plus 400 dog if you think he can touch Salza's chin before Salza takes it to the ground, but Gumby is going Salza all day, and I completely agree. I like this bit of matchmaking. You have the veteran uh, probably winding down his career. One of my favorite fighters, Glover Teixeira, taking on an up-and-comer in Jared Cannonier. Uh Glover is coming off the tough loss to Anthony Johnson. He wanted to stand and trade with Rumble. Maybe not the best uh, option of a game plan. Uh, that was back in August. He beat Rashad Evans and beat Patrick Cummins before that. So Glover is 2-1 and one in his last three. Jared Cannonier is 2-1 and one in his last three as well. After losing to Sean Jordan back in January of 2015, had a good 2016 by knocking out uh, Surreal Asker and Ian Kutaleba. Sorry, and got a unanimous decision win over Ian Kutaleba. So he's 2-1 and one in his last three, two wins in 2016 up-and-coming fighter. What are you thinking here, Gumby? Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, we'd say 2-1 and one in his last three, but he's 1-0 at 205, which is what got him this fight. I mean, Ian Kutalaba is a, a heck of a prospect there um, for him to get a win over. To me, this feels like too big of a step up at once. You know, I, I like Jared Cannonier. Do I think he's got some, some real talent and he could possibly hang around at 205? Certainly. I mean, he's ranked right now, number 15, you know, in the most recent UFC rankings. Uh Still, this is not a good fight for him. Um, I expect Glover to bounce back, and this is the right fight to give Glover after having a couple of tough fights. Uh, yeah, tough fight against Anthony Rumble Johnson. Well, uh, Vegas sees it as Glover, the minus 165 favorite. You get Jared Cannonier about a plus 140, plus 145 dog in most sports books. Uh, do you have, you still just take Glover here all day? Yeah, I, I don't think those numbers are big enough. If he was like plus 250, I might lay some money on it, but not after plus 250. All right. Well, uh, they haven't necessarily broken up what's on the main card and what is on the undercard, although I think we can basically guess that this is kicking off the main event, um, although I don't believe this is official yet as of taping right now. And it's a very interesting matchup, though. Maybe it main events the uh, FS1 show. It's Dustin Poirier versus Jim Miller. Dustin Poirier had looked so good since coming down to lightweight. He was actually 4-0 and since coming, down to, or coming, coming up. up to lightweight post the Conor McGregor loss, but then he ran into Michael Johnson's fist and he got knocked out back in September. Uh, it was a tough loss for him. He looks to bounce back against the veteran Jim Miller, who's on a, get this, three-fight win streak. Since a unanimous decision loss to Diego Sanchez back in March of 2016, uh, Jim Miller finished out the year TKOing Takanori Gomi, split decision win over Joe Lozon, and a unanimous decision win over Tiago Alves back at UFC 205. Poirier versus Jim Miller, one of the more exciting fights on the card, if you ask me. I would say the most exciting fight on the card Boom. for me. I mean, like, 
it's two guys who have a trajectory to get back in that top 15, top 10 area. I mean, I like Poye in this fight probably on size. Since he's come back to 155, he looks stronger. He, he acts stronger. Did he get tagged once? Absolutely. But anybody can get tagged once. And Jim Miller is not the kind of guy who's going to knock you out anyway. Jim Miller is going to have to take him down. And I don't see it. I don't see it. Okay. So I'm Poirier. going with Poye, probably a decision fight of the night candidate right there. Though. All right. Well, I do want to just bring our readers' attentions, our readers, our listeners' attentions uh, to the fact that Jim Miller is a plus 325 dog. Wow. Poirier, the minus 400 favorite. I find those odds to be a little out of whack while I completely agree with you and your assessment. I like Jim Miller yeah, at plus absolutely. 325. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a great fucking play if you can get that. He is a, uh, a grizzled veteran that sometimes can find a way to win. All right. We'll rifle through these. What we assume is going to be the undercard. You have Randy Brown versus Belial Muhammad. Um, Belial Muhammad plus 100. Randy Brown minus 120. Your thoughts? I like Muhammad in this one. I, I mean, he has shown some pretty freaking awesome striking. Uh, he's looked like a killer on his feet. Randy Brown, it, it's not like Randy Brown's going to grapple him up. Uh, and, and, you know, Randy Brown's shown some holes lately. Uh, not as good as we originally thought he was. I'm going to go with Muhammad. You want to talk crazy odds. How about Ulsa Sasaki <laughs> as a plus 450 dog, or do you want Wilson Reyes as a minus 600 favorite, the biggest favorite on the card I mean, all night? There's no way I'd lay money on negative 600, but the fun thing about Ulsa Sasaki is that Sasaki has crazy ground game. Uh, I mean, he, he has got some really weird shit on the ground, especially from the bottom, which is where he's going to be. I mean, if you feel like playing, you know, the fact that he might be able to catch him, might be worth it, but like he's not going to catch him. This is like grounded pound for three rounds. Nick Lentz, the plus one fifty five dog to Islam Makashev, the minus one seventy five favorite. I actually am surprised that Islam is not a little bit. Of, I would have predicted him over two as a favorite. But what do you think on that fight? I, I think I like Nick Lentz. Uh, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, Islam's good. He's coming off a decision win over Chris Wade, but I, I don't know. It's a little bit overrated there for me because, I mean, Nick Lentz is a good grappler, and Islam's path to victory is usually grappling. All right. Very, uh, very fair. So you're you're down with those. Uh, yeah. With, I, I like picking Nick Lentz at plus odds. 155. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Um, you have uh, Philippe Nover, the plus 170 dog, to Rick Glenn, the minus 200 favorite. I like Rick Glenn here. Uh, another Duke Rufus guy. Good elbows. Great clinch work. Good kickboxing. Uh, and if Nova can't get him down, it's it's over. Friend of the show, Uncle Creepy, uh, had another fighter drop out, but uh, Jared Brooks steps up. They're both minus 110 in most sports books. What are you thinking here? Jared Brooks taking the call on short notice. Yeah, he's taking the call on short notice and getting even odds against Uncle Creepy. I'm going to take Uncle Creepy, friend of the show, uh, but don't count out Jared Brooks. By the way, great nickname on Jared Brooks, the monkey god. No way. Yeah, Jared, the monkey god, Brooks. All right, <laughs> if you say so. Um, and then we have Ryan LaFleur. Uh, Rowan Carnero, what are you thinking? I, I like Ryan LaFleur at home. Uh, you know, pretty good jiu-jitsu out of him. He just beat Mike Pierce, so, if, you know, he can he can stand the grappling of Mike Pierce. He can stand the grappling uh, of him. So I, I think he's going to win this one here. Ryan LaFleur, the minus 265 favorite. Rowan Carnero, the plus 225 dog. And I believe kicking off the entire show on Fight Pass, although, again, as of taping, they haven't broken up what's on Fight Pass, what's on FS1, and what's on the exact pay-per-view. Um, but I believe kicking off the entire show will be Luis Enrique versus Marcin Tybura. Your thoughts? 
Um, so uh, Henrique, I believe, dropped out. So Ty Burrow is looking for an opponent now. So I think right now, as of today, that one's off until they find a heavyweight replacement. Okay, so the UFC website needs to get someone. Uh, uh, William Morris Endeavors, you fired the guy who I'm, should I'm, be updating your fucking website. But you're probably <laughs> right because uh, you can't get odds on it anymore. So I believe you, Gumby, and you'll have to uh, stay tuned. You can, you can trust Gumby instead of the UFC's <laughs> website. <laughs> and stay tuned to see who steps up for Luis Enrique to fight Marcin Tybura. Yep. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed our show. That's your preview for UFC 208. We're both underwhelmed by the entire card. But that being said, who's to say it won't be the greatest pay-per-view of all time? Uh, we thank our sponsors, Sisu Mouthguard, Datsusara Hemp Gear, and we, of course, thank our listeners. Follow us on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. Write a review. Give a download. Give a subscribe. Gosh darn, do we appreciate it. Keeps the lights on in this year. Top Turtle Podcast Studio. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Thanks so much for listening.